0: Hey Sam. Hey Teresa. What's up?
1: Um not much. It's been a really great week though. Um the house that I'm living in is just starting to throw shows which is super exciting and everyone has been very exciting for that but I think a lot of us didn't realize how much work goes into actually making a show happen so it's been a little bit hectic. How was your week?
0: Um my week has been good this weekend is going to be a little hectic. I have a lot of work to do, but speaking of shows, next Thursday, um, Japanese Breakfast is coming to the Writer Center at Penn. Um, And I'm in the class of the professor who's moderating a discussion that he'll have with her. So I'm really excited to um, meet Japanese Breakfast. And I'm like literally Just so looking forward to next Thursday.
1: Yeah, shout out Japanese Breakfast, a very like multi talented musician, artist, writer. Kind of wild. (laughs) I aspire to be like that one day. But speaking of multi talents, uh, we have a true multi talent on our show today. Um, Today we will be interviewing John Morrison over a cup of orange tea.
0: Great, let's get into it. So today I chose orange tea um, because my little sister Iris hates oranges and I was thinking about her today. Though she probably wasn't thinking about me, but um, I like feel like orange tea is just like not really supposed to be a thing. It just feels very like lukewarm and kind of like makes me a little nauseous um i feel like oranges should be consumed only in a way that accentuates their fresh and tanginess and not like mold around in warm water what do you think sam
1: yeah to me orange tea is all about the spices like um i've had really good orange teas and orange teas that I, i agree with you that they can't taste too much like oranges Like there has to be that that freshness to them, whether it's through like cinnamon or some like nutmeg or something like that. But overall, orange tea is great. I like fruit teas in general. Um, I think some teas take themselves a little too seriously, whereas fruit tea, it's um, you kind of just know what you're getting. So I'd give an orange tea a solid eight out of 10.
0: That's a bit generous, but um, we'll take it. Um, But me and Sam are so excited for today's episode where we will be interviewing John Morrison. Um, For those of you who don't know, John Morrison is a writer, he's a DJ, he's a sample flipper, um, and he is based in Philadelphia. I was introduced to John Morrison not only because he frequently writes for publications like Bandcamp and NPR Music, but I used to intern at um, NPR, um world cafe or world cafe program um last semester and john morrison would always come on um as sort of like a guest and he would talk about um music on the show also i used to listen to serious rap shit um and i just found his commentary and his insights super insightful and also he just seemed like a really cool and super genuinely nice dude
1: just for context, Serious Rap Shit is a super dope podcast. We are big podcast heads over here. So it's awesome to be joined by a fellow podcaster and someone who really just does it at the top of the game. Like, <laughs> Serious Rap Shit is a really dope podcast. And if you haven't heard it, you should check that out too. Um, but, Teresa, should we call him up right now?
0: Yep, yeah, let's call him up. Hello, hello. Hi, hello. how are you? <laughs>
2: I'm I'm doing lovely. A little sleepy. How are y'all? <laughs> kind of same vibes over here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Uh yeah. we're super excited to talk to you. I guess first we were just wondering, did you grow up with lots of music around the house?
2: Um, so yeah, I I did grow up with uh a lot of music in the house. Both of my parents uh like, you know, 99.9% of the population, uh, loved music. My mom uh, is actually a singer. She sang opera as a young woman. um, And she would always like sing around the house and she would play music. And my older brother, who is uh, 11 years older than me, he was part of that, like, First generation, like Black Gen X kids, who first like really got hip hop, right? Um, so he was very much into, uh, like collecting records. Uh, he made music, like he made sample based music. So I, I grew up watching my older brother with like, uh, you know, a Roland TR eight hundred eight. A TR-909, making beats, chopping up samples and stuff. Like, I I got to see that firsthand. And then um, around, I guess, like 1987, my brother joined a group uh, called the Devastating Four. It was him making beats uh, and three women as the MCs. So my family would actually, and I was like, I was a little, little kid. Uh, But I remember this vividly, my family, we would all go to like talent shows and little like local shows that my brother's group played and we would just watch, you know, watch them perform. So I kind of it was it was a really cool way to grow up. I kind of got a firsthand experience of like the first wave or first generation of Philly hip hop specifically. So I, I had a nice foundation, you know, when I when I grew up and and became a teenager and started exploring like my own music making practice and my own writing and stuff like that. I had a very firm foundation in that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. And your parents were like totally down with it.
2: Yeah. My, my mom, my father uh, was actually killed. Um in the late 80s so I didn't have my dad uh, that long uh, but my mom was like very very supportive um, so I grew up like I like I was a preteen when like grunge hit you know what I mean and that whole uh, I guess like, like cultural revolution and like the MTV generation and all of that I was a preteen and I was very much into that stuff. So I was into hip hop and like street music, but also this like loud guitar music. And my mom wasn't like, like my mom, like I've spoken to a lot of like over the years, like my peers um, who talk about being into like punk and like hardcore and stuff like that, specifically like black folks of a certain age. And like, they talk about like their parents being like, oh, you're listening to this white music or they get like pushed back from their families. My mom was not like that. My mom was very much, Oh, you want to experiment with things? I support that. Oh, you want, and my mom was very much, um, is very much a working class black woman. She didn't make a lot of money. So if I wanted like a synthesizer or I don't know, like a drum machine or something as a young person. My mom was very much like, okay, I'll work some hours, I'll save and I'll, you know, I'll buy it for you. Or, you know, if I was working like an after school job or something as a kid, I would put up half and she would put up half. And she did that for my brother too. Like if my brother wanted a drum machine or, or anything, you know, music related or creative, my brother's uh is also a visual artist. So anything, anything creative or in the arts, you know, that I wanted to do, my mom was very much like, OK, yeah, let's let's do it. She's she's very supportive, even to this day. You know what I mean? If I do a radio show or if I'm, you know, on uh, somebody else's show or whatever, my mom is like very much, you know, she'll she'll check it out or whatever, even if it's not, you know in her wheelhouse like musically or whatever.
0: And so um, like how did you sort of like get interested in music and then also like in terms of like transitioning to like writing like where did the writing mm-hmm. part of music come in um, in addition to like just being interested and like wanting to
2: like make music? Yeah I, I was always um from being like a young kid I was always kind of analytical about music um I always even amongst my peers who were I kind of gravitated towards kids who were also like that uh but I was always uh probably like a little bit more intense about um just just being curious about music but also analyzing like the stuff that made music you know what it was um so I I always wrote down like little thoughts that I had about records and stuff. Um, But I I actually got into being like a published music writer in my junior year of high school. Uh, I I remember um, I was uh, like roaming around the city, probably like cutting class or whatever. um, And I found this flyer for a screening for uh, a documentary that someone had made on the hip hop scene in Japan. And at that point, um, I was listening to like so much music, but I, I was I knew certain artists like I was really into uh, DJ Crush, who was like a pioneering uh, Japanese hip hop uh, MC DJ and producer. I was like in love with his music, so I wanted more hip hop culture uh, from around the world, but from Japan in particular, Crush was kind of like my. Intro to that to that uh, culture, so I saw this and I said, you know, documentary, hip hop in Japan. I was like, that's right up my alley. Uh, So I took down a number, I went home and I called it, and the person who picked up, who was like organizing the screening, uh, is a writer and activist uh, who lives in Philadelphia named Obona Hagens, and. Obona and I are talking, I'm, you know, a teenager and I'm very excited about the screening and we're talking about more music and he's asking me questions like, yo, what are you into, Da da da. So at that point, I think that was uh, like late 90s. So I was very much into a lot of the like underground, like independent hip hop that was coming out, not only on the East Coast, uh, but a lot of the like West Coast hip hop stuff, um, you know, Hobo Junction, Freestyle Fellowship, all of that stuff. Um, so I was I'm just like excited about music and, and talking to this guy. And he says to me, he's like, "Yo, are you a writer? Um, like, do you write? And I'm like, yeah, you know, like I write raps. I write songs. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I didn't know what he meant by that. Um, but he's like, no, do you like have you written like a record review or, or something like that? And I was like, not officially. Um, He's like, do you want to? Um, So it turns out that Obona and his partner at the time, a woman named Sheena Lester, who I didn't know then, but uh, she's like a legend in the hip hop, like journalism space as like a writer and an editor. And they had created this like local uh, hip hop zine called the Philly word that was dedicated to, philly's you know uh hip-hop scene so he asked me if i wanted to write for uh the zine i said yes and within you know a couple months time i was like up and rolling and like writing record reviews and stuff and sheena was my first editor um this was like this was not pre-internet but um the internet obviously was not you know what it is now um and I don't even think I think when I started I didn't even have internet access in our house so I would write record reviews by hand and I would call Sheena and dictate the record review to her and she would type it out and then edit it (laughs) you know what I mean um so we we did that for a while and then my mom bought a computer so then I could you know like actually type it out and send it to her and I did that for a while um and then I just you know I just started uh I took those clips and started writing for punk zines like I would send oh yeah this is this is something that I wrote you know what I mean and you know a zine would like hire me to write um And then, you know, when the Internet thing started really picking up in uh, like the early 2000s, I would write for websites and magazines and stuff. And it, you know, it really it was really like that initial curiosity and then Obona and Sheena taking me on and, and mentoring me that really got me into being a music writer.
1: Wow. That's an incredible story. Um, Can't believe you wrote them out by hand. That's (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Very intense. I guess. So I also write a lot about music um, and I think my biggest obstacle to starting, and I know this is something that a lot of other people feel is kind of feeling like you don't know enough about the music that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was wondering Do you I know you write a lot about jazz, which isn't necessarily like the music that you like grew up in the scene of most. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel like you constantly have to kind of educate yourself about the music you're writing before you write it about? Or do you go in with the mindset that you're going to write about music that you feel already comfortable with?
2: Yeah, I I think that um, there's something to be said for having people who really have an an intimate relationship with a scene, a culture uh, like jazz, a a practice or or, or a way of making music, which is how I kind of look at jazz. Um, And there's something to be said for folks who really know that intimately and having them, you know, do the work of, of writing about it and contextualizing it. But there's also something to be said for discovery. You know, I think that um, in the climate that we live in, in like a media space, it doesn't give writers a lot of space to, you know, discover through their writing, you know what I mean? And I, I think that we lose something when we don't allow people, not that I want, you know, people walking in off the street who have no idea what they're talking about to write about music. Uh, but there's there's nothing wrong with um, uh, uh, having gaps in your knowledge that research and writing will fill, you know what I mean? And, and talking with people, you know what I mean? My, I'm, I'm a big uh, advocate of if I want to write about a thing, I want to find the people who were there and like get on the phone or get on a Zoom call and talk with them. Or, you know, before pre-pandemic, like meet them in person and talk and just ask questions, you know. So I'm absolutely not uh, an expert in, you know, really any of the stuff that I write about. I've, I've, I think I have um, knowledge about certain aspects of, of music and art and culture. Um, and I trust my ears, like I trust my ears Uh, And I trust my perspective, you know, so if I if I'm writing about a record, and it came out in, I don't know, 1967, or 1994, or whatever, whenever it came out, I trust my own historical understanding of what was happening in the world at the time. And I try to back up that trust with research. You know what I mean? So, yeah it's I wouldn't say to anybody don't write about something until you're like an expert at it because when you know what, what what do any of us really know we know we know little bits and pieces you know um but I was I would say uh trust your ears trust um the research that you do and be vigorous uh or rigorous in that and you know just just go for it. You know what I mean? Even if it's something, if it and, and trust your your heart to let you know, and that's an instinct that and a reflex that you'll develop, you know, over the years. I'm developing it. Every writer is, you know what you should and shouldn't be writing about most of the time. You know what I mean? There, there are things that editors pitch to me. And I'll say, like, I'm not the person for this you know somebody and if, if there's a writer in our community that we know about I'll be like they would be better to do this than I you know what I mean so it's it's really that's a lot of it too trusting development and trusting your instinct it'll tell you what you need to be writing about regardless of uh you know whether or not you're like an expert in it or whatever
0: and I guess, like, what do you see is your responsibility as a music writer? And has that changed with, like, the fact that, like, journalism and media have, like, changed so rapidly um, since you, like, started?
2: Yeah. Um, my, my responsibility, as I see it as a writer, first and foremost, um, is to, to Black culture, specifically, right? Um now, that doesn't mean I'm like, you know, the writer for every little aspect of the black experience. like I don't I don't like that idea either when you know certain writers are crowned like, oh, this is the person we get to write about like black shit or whatever. And I recognize that certain aspects of me and my identity, they're, There are other writers that should cover other things, you know, or cover things that, you know, maybe, well, I won't speak in like the abstract. Um, I work with an organization called CineSpeak, which is like a community, uh, basically like a a film community uh, uh, organization. And we have like a journal where basically, you know, folks review films talk about like the theory of film, all of that stuff. And we got uh, like a pitch list and there was a Criterion Collection uh, streaming for uh, the works of uh, Marlon Riggs. Marlon Riggs is a Black pioneer in like Black queer filmmaker. So initially I'm like, oh, you know, I've seen this dude's films. Maybe I should write about this. Um, But I was like, oh, no, maybe someone else would be better for this, you know what I mean, because I don't identify as queer. So to, to get to, like, your question, my responsibility, whether it's as a writer or somebody in the writing community, is to make sure that Black culture is represented and contextualized in the way, the best way possible. You know, that is difficult. Is it was probably difficult, you know, in the the like print era that I started at. At but you know it was it was I was so young, I didn't know really anything about like the dynamics of the industry. But it's difficult now because uh, for a lot of reasons, but mainly like the pacing of media and writing. Editors are under a lot of pressure to turn out stories and turn out like content and that pressure falls on staff writers that pressure falls on you know um, freelancers and everybody in this whole uh, ecosystem of writing feels like feels this pressure to like turn stuff out so you see stories that you know maybe aren't as researched as they should be maybe um even not as well written as they should be like i think i can write but if you tell me yo give me three thousand words in a couple hours (laughs) you know what i mean like i if even if i made the attempt to do it it might be shitty like what i write because we don't have um so it's so it's timing but it's also um like financial pressure you know what I mean? People have to turn out, like I'm a freelancer and, you know, I don't know exactly what, what goes on in everybody's newsroom as far as like staff writers, but I know the rates that freelancers are being paid now. And it's definitely less than what it was when I started generally. Uh, but also you have to turn out so many stories in order to make a living. So there, there are all of these like overarching, uh, pressures of capitalism that impact like the practice of music writing um so my you know if if I'm thinking about like my like purpose in doing this or like my duty in doing this it's to do the best possible work under that system the current system that we're in I don't know if that that fully like answers your question but that's you know that's that's how I how I see it
0: No, definitely. It's because like, I also like, you know, do a lot of music writing and and I want to do journalism. Um, But like after doing freelancing for like a year, you start to like, yeah, notice all these like things that capitalism um, changes about like how quickly you have to turn around stories or like even what type of stories you're like, oh, like this is the more interesting story, but this is the story that they'll take, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's why, like, maybe from a personal standpoint, I was, like, wondering how you navigate that and still find, like, purpose in it despite these, like, pressures.
2: Yeah. It's it's not um, easy. And I'm in a nice groove now, but I'm never, like, really comfortable in it. You know what I mean? I've I've chosen to be a freelancer. Like, folks have... um, offer me staff positions and, and teaching positions and stuff, but I, I struggle with certain kinds of like structure, you know what I mean, as a person, so being, uh, a freelancer is like perfect for me, uh, but it's also, I've kind of opted to put myself in this, uh, like precarious situation where I'm, I'm kind of, um, how do I want to say, I'm kind of, uh, under under the pressure of like these these overarching dynamics that, that we're talking about
1: yeah definitely yeah that makes sense and we've talked about a lot about your writing process but you're also an incredible dj a podcaster oh. so many other things um and i was wondering is your process for each um of the many things that you do very different or do you approach whether it's writing, podcasting, DJing, do you approach them all from the same standpoint?
2: Um, I couldn't say the exact same standpoint, but there, there's definitely a lot of overlap. And I think um, all of this stuff comes from the same, uh, the same core, basically. Like I, I, after writing uh, for so long and, and, DJing and, and doing all this stuff I think that I've gotten the closest that I've been to like the heart of of what I do or what I want to do um so it's it's never really that difficult um to kind of reconcile these these different uh practices or, or different like styles of work because like I've been doing it for a while and I know like if if somebody wants me to do like a guest DJ slot on like a radio show, you know, I know that I'm going to play like a little weird jazz shit. I'm going to play, you know, maybe like some noise or like experimental stuff, a little hip hop here or like some breaks or, you know, if. NPR sends me a bunch of records it's like oh which one of these do you want to talk about on the radio next week I know I'm going to pick like certain kind of hip-hop stuff certain kind of like soul music jazz so I'm you know it becomes less difficult because I've been engaging with all of these different practices for for a long time so I I kind of know what to do that's not saying that I don't get you know confused or like tripped up about stuff because that happens too uh but generally generally like i know i like i understand the assignment generally if somebody wants me to do something you know what i mean
1: definitely and it sounds like the way that you were talking about it all of the practices end up being kind of intertwined with each other too um which is really interesting yeah post like lockdown, have you gotten to DJ any shows recently?
2: I haven't done many. Um, I've been very uh, cautious about COVID because um, for a lot of reasons, I was like, I know folks who have lost people and all of that stuff. Um, but personally, in 2018, I had like a weird random uh, immune response. Like I thought I had caught the flu and it mushroomed into this other kind of like wave of sickness and i ended up uh briefly losing the ability to walk right so like imagine like you have the flu and you're like oh man i'm like really sick and you wake up in the hospital and you know a week later and you can't walk so i've been like super cautious about anything sick related or germ related, like because the doctors couldn't even explain what happened to me in 2018. So with COVID, I see my friends DJing and all of that stuff. And I've I've um I have done a couple things. I did um uh in in Philly we have uh a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Duji and Shemda, he does um an event called vinyl tap, which is basically like all of the collectors and DJs, but also folks who are just like regular music lovers who don't work in like the music industry or whatever. It's like a sign-up sheet, you know. Um, occasionally we'll have like a, a feature DJ, but generally there's like no hierarchy. You bring a bag of records and you just play throughout the day. And folks, you know, there'll be folks who bring, you know, a bunch of punk records or folks who bring a bunch of like, like I I like bringing like weird psychedelic shit or like a weird jazz record or whatever. And people just play DJ sets. Um, So I did, I did one of those um, maybe like two months ago or so um, at Amalgam, Amalgam Philly is uh, I believe the only black woman owned, comic book shop on the east coast and it's like not far from our house uh so they, they hosted vinyl tap there and I did that one and I did another gig uh that I'm not uh, my, my memories escaping me but I've, I've done two I've DJ'd twice in public since this whole COVID thing started
0: and um are there like any albums um that have really caught your attention this year or like anything recent that you would want to recommend
2: anything recent well shit let me uh pull up my i keep I, I i still use uh like the apple music itunes thing um and i and i keep shit like in in categories but i'm gonna look at 2018 um or it's, oh, 2018 2021 <laughs> um oh there's this record uh by this band called Figmore. Uh, F-I-G-M-O-R-E, uh, the album is called Jumbo Street, and it's gorgeous, it's like, it's soul music, but it's like psychedelic soul music, and it's like very fun and sweet sounding, it's beautiful, um, oh, and, uh, a woman from England named Emma Jean Thackeray, her album Yellow is like one of my favorites. She she plays a lot of different instruments, um, but she's also a composer. And Yellow, the album is like this beautiful, like utopian jazz record. She's a very young woman, but the music sounds like if if one of like my collector homies, like if I didn't know this record, and one of my collector homies like handed me this and said, "Yo, this was made in like 1975." I would completely believe it. You know what I mean? It's, it's like this gorgeous, like utopian jazz record with like all of these like strings and, and brass arrangements and stuff. It's, it's really one of my favorites of the year. So I, yeah, I would definitely say uh, Yellow by Emma Jean Thackeray is like a gorgeous record. Um, the new uh, More Mother uh, Irreversible Entanglements, like their their new album, is dope um, a friend of mine uh, they record under the name Madam Data uh, their album was is called uh, The Gospel of the Devourer and it's, it's like it's like harsh noise like a wall of noise but it has all of these like colors and like dynamics in it you know what I mean so it's you know uh, mind design his album is really dope um it's called uh rare pleasure i like isaiah rashad's album i'm really just scrolling and looking like my favorite uh records of the year so yeah there's like a a bunch of really dope stuff that's that's kind of like caught my attention and, and my spirit lately little sims her album is really good so yeah a bunch of stuff
1: yeah, I feel like it's been such an amazing year for music in general. Um, yeah. Yeah, wild. Um, but one more question about another recent release. Did you get a chance to check out the new like John Coltrane Love Supreme? Yes, absolutely.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, Philly Philly is very much like a jazz town. Um, and I I grew up hearing John Coltrane's music um an elder uh mentor of mine uh Baba Jim Gray who who's passed away since um he would tell me stories about like meeting and hanging out with Alice Coltrane and John Coltrane you know what I mean so it's yeah anything Coltrane related I'm all over it uh and yeah I, I have heard the new Love Supreme I was I was like listening I don't have a copy of it but um NPR did like a listening party where it was, uh, you know, a few folks playing the record and just checking it out, uh, streaming it on YouTube and just talking about it. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was, it's anything, you know, John Coltrane related. He's, he's such a giant of jazz, uh, black music, American music in general, and, and really like global music. It, it's any, recording of his is like a gift to the world in my opinion
0: what are you like excited for like are there any like projects or like even like themes that you're excited to be like working on
2: um i'm excited for like there, there are specific uh things that i'm working on um some like film stuff uh me and a couple friends are working on a cartoon you know what i mean it's like a bunch of stuff uh that i'm excited about but mainly i'm excited this is gonna sound like very corny and like live love laugh uh (laughs) i'm very excited about uh the journey of this shit you know what i mean like i jokingly say to my partner um when something random will pop up somebody will ask me hey i want you to write liner notes for this album or hey, I want you to do this radio show, I always jokingly say to my partner, like, yo, every day is a winding road, you know what I mean? it, But it really, I really feel that way, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I love waking up every morning and knowing that I've kind of carved out this lane where people want me to do cool shit with them, you know? So it, it could be film some of the film stuff um I'm working on or just writing like a review of a a beautiful record or or really anything you know what I mean that's that's like the most the thing I'm most excited about is like the possibility of it all
1: Yeah, that's that's such a great way to put it um yeah I guess I'm excited for the winding road too
2: yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's fun none of it is like perfect or any of that shit but yeah. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't go back to like stuff that I used to do, you know, mm-hmm. before I, before I was like a full time writer. I wouldn't I wouldn't do any of that stuff. Totally. We love
0: the live, laugh, let love <laughs> inside. We all like it. <laughs> We're like, oh, right. it's so corny. <laughs> I, yeah, you got
2: to you got you to gotta add like the caveat like, oh, this is. Yeah. Corny. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very much that person. Absolutely. <laughs> Well,
1: thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Um, and thank y'all. I love your writing. Thank you. Yeah, just thank you for um, speaking with us.
2: Yeah, thank y'all so much. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for tuning in
0: to this week's episode of Two Virgins. We hope you enjoyed getting to know John Morrison and check out his writing, his DJ, sample flipping, and his podcast. Um, You can find this episode on our website, quarantinecontent.com or on our weekly newsletter. Thank you. See you next week.